we, we've now measured 42,000 babies from zero to six months, by far the largest sleep study ever done in the world, demonstrating that we add an hour to two hours to the baby's sleep. Again, no great surprise. You'd do the same thing if you drove them all night in the car, but mm -hmm. now you can do that without getting in the car. And we're going to dramatically reduce postpartum depression and child abuse and all these other things and make families happier at the same time. So that's really what, what gets us up in the morning. And yeah. the, all the business stuff is really kind of, those are the ornaments on the tree, but, but ultimately the tree is really our, or our North star, if you will, is really how are we going to make the world a better place? And, uh, and that's enormously gratifying. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. I am your host, Lex Bobber, and that at the top was Dr. Harvey Karp, the founder of the Happiest Baby line of books and products and the creator of this new, a smart bassinet that we're going to be digging into much more. But before we do, I wanted to say two things. The first is a fantastic, tremendous, wondrous, all-encompassing thank you to the amazing guests that we've been able to have onto the podcast and feature this year in 2020. It's been a heck of a year. And these stories of inspirational people creating products, services, technologies, participating in activism, building communities to save the planet has, I have been incredibly inspired by it. And so thank you to everyone who has come onto the podcast. Thank you to everyone who has listened to it. We love you dearly. And to everyone who helps make it every week. This is truly a team effort. And we couldn't do it without the phenomenal group of people that help bring this to you week in and week out. And there is much more in store in 2021. So stay tuned. Head over to the website. Check out our ebook of 2020 Planet Savers available now at Who's Saving the Planet. Sign up for the newsletter and join our community. We'd love to have you. All right. Let's talk today a little bit about how Dr. Carp has created a product that saves the planet by saving ourselves, by saving the sanity of young parents. Dr. Carp was a pediatric physician for the majority of his career, and he developed a methodology of understanding what new children need, what young humans, very young, need in order to feel comfortable and to feel secure. And he provided that information to parents in a simple, digestible form, the five S's. And this was a means of soothing a child. He took this methodology and said, you know, there's a way that we can create a machine, a product that would be able to do this for young parents so that they could get back one of the most valuable things, which is a little bit more sleep and a little bit more peace of mind. And in doing so, improve the life and the well-being and the mental health of young families. And that is how he created the SNOO, which is a digitally powered bassinet that gently rocks and soothes the child back to sleep. Now, the product in and itself is sustainable in that he makes it with the best materials and he's incorporated a rental methodology to the way that the product is sold and used so that it's not contributing to the landfill. But there's one, there's another aspect to our broader idea of saving the planet that I wanted to touch on because I personally feel it tremendously, which is that in order for us to be able to apply ourselves in the things that we are trying to do to help change the world to influence this trajectory that we're on we need the support of the people around us and the security of 
knowing that we have this strong community and that starts at home. That starts with your nuclear family. And what this product can do is help give people, give young families back a little bit of sleep. And that may not sound like a lot, but it is truly, it changes everything about how you can comport yourself through your day, how you feel the self-esteem with which you go into the day. Now, obviously, I'm super biased about this, having had a child, but the idea that we need to take care of each other and we need to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of the planet is certainly something that resonates with me. And I believe that's woven into the fabric of not only the product itself, the snoo of what he's created, but also the way Dr. Karp thinks about how we should be prioritizing the stuff that we buy, the stuff that we use, and what goes into making those things. And with that, here's my conversation with Dr. Harvey Karp, the author of the Happiest Baby book series and the creator of the snoo. Here we go. Welcome into Who's Saving the Planet, Dr. Karp. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with you today for so many reasons, which will become apparent. But first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. It's really great to talk to you. And thanks for your great work. I mean, we all need to uh, pitch in, not just for our families and our communities, but um, but the world around us. We, we never recognize that is more important than it is today. I, well, thank you. And you know what? It's a joy. It's a pleasure. We we definitely believe that there we could use with a little bit more optimism. We're never there's never a time when it's like, ah, oh, man, too much hope, too much idea yeah. that the future could be better. So we're trying to chip in as best we can. Um, and I wanted to well, for, let's talk about you because I this will come become very apparent. But I am a new parent. Uh, our my son Rye was born a month ago, and so you have been a fixture in my home, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically with this new, but take us back to the beginning, please. Um, give our listeners a little bit of idea about your journey and where you came from and the products that you developed, the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for that. Well, I'm a pediatrician and I practiced for almost 30 years in Los Angeles, trained in, in New York City, but moved out here a long time ago. And um, and as a pediatrician, I, I just observed some things that weren't really fully understood. And one of those was about how to get babies to cry less and sleep more. And you would think that, you know, since we've been around babies for thousands of years, we would just know everything about babies. There'd be no controversy. We would just do it and get on with it. And yet there's so much confusion and, and no, I mean, one of the areas of the greatest confusion is about sleep and crying. And in fact, most doctors will tell you, most books will tell you that there's really not much you can do. I mean, little babies, you know, they got to wake up a lot. They're going to cry. You just have to suck it up and deal with it for the first four, five, six months, which sounds fine in theory, but when you're going through it, it can be crushing. Mm -hmm. um, the sleep deprivation can be absolutely um, uh, torturous. And literally, they we train Navy SEALs and special ops forces to go through torture by putting them through sleep deprivation with the sound of crying babies oh, on the loudspeakers. Oh my goodness. It's <laughs> your everyday life. So, um, so it isn't just a through line in a sitcom. It really is the major cause of parental stress and suffering. Um, and it's the chief provocation for postpartum depression, marital stress, breastfeeding failure, child abuse, um, unsafe sleeping practice that leads to thousands of deaths. I mean, it's a big mm -hmm. deal and billions of dollars of employer costs. So whoever thought crying babies would be such a, <laughs> such a problem. 
But anyway, in my journey as a pediatrician, I recognized that um, what we were saying wasn't true. Hmm. Um, it sounds right that you can't calm crying babies and you can't help them sleep. And at the other side of our mouth, we're saying, well, you know what? It's easy to calm crying babies. It's easy to get them to sleep. Just drive them all night in the car. Right. And they're automatically going to sleep an extra hour or two. And you would as well. And so it didn't quite make sense. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized, you know, even adults fall asleep in trains and planes and cars. We like the sound of the wind and the ocean. All of that imitates the womb experience. And it turns out the sound in the womb is louder than a vacuum cleaner. Mm -hmm. Babies are constantly rocked. Every time the mother breathes, she's rocking her diaphragm against the, the top of her uterus. Babies are held really tightly. So to suddenly give birth and put them on the back in stillness is weird for them. And so mm. that's really the safe position. No question, they need to sleep on the back, but the way we're doing it is really undermining their sleep and leading to problems. And so a few years back, um, you know, I put together a, a team of uh, expert engineers and designers, and we created this uh, baby bed called Snoo, which is um, based on my book and video called The Happiest Baby on the Block, which talks about how you imitate the womb in such a way to be really successful at calming crying and helping babies during the day. And now with Snoo, we can help all night long. And one last thing about this, which is that Snoo rocks and shushes babies all night, imitating the womb experience. And when the baby cries, uh, Snoo senses that and rocks and shushes them more, imitating a great you know, baby nurse or your older sister or your grandma. <laughs> um, so you have now a helper 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And our goal has always been to be able to provide that to families pretty much for the cost of a Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing now all across the country and now really around the world as this has become the most awarded baby product in history. And even now we're actually in the, um, we're in the permanent collection of the Smithsonian institution are you really that's so soon to be in the permanent collection of the smithsonian i know so i'm thinking like next to the wright brothers <laughs> airplane there's gonna be this little snoo you know but you um, know i bet to everyone who doesn't have a child they may be like that sounds crazy but to everyone with an infant they're like make there should be two snoos in there absolutely <laughs> so um the, let's i want to i want to take it back a minute because you said some things in there that i thought were really interesting and i want to dig into one was the transition for as a pediatrician and forgive me a doctor, I am not, but I would imagine your first concern is the health and wellness of the baby. And then at some point you made this mental jump to say, well, look at the health and wellness of the parents that are coming in as well. And this is being affected and then cycled back to saying, well, how can I address maybe something which isn't an immediate concern in terms of uh, the critical health of the human that is the baby, you know, there's something where it's life threatening, but it's certainly impacting the overall wellness of this family unit. Was that a realization that you had over the course of decades? Or was there a moment where you're like, you know, this, we're, we're addressing the symptoms and not the problem here? Sure. Well, you know, what I was taught in my pediatric training is uh, there is no such thing as a baby. There's hmm. only a baby and, and it, it's really, um, I remember uh, being in college with the first Earth Day and being a strike leader. We actually closed our, our university down and we had protests and we had all sorts of stuff going on because it was, it, was a, it was a big deal that first Earth Day. And so I really came from a very ecological background. 
And so we're talking about the ecology of a family, right? Um, and, and the baby's relationship to the parents and the parents' relationship to baby is critical. One of the cool things about babies, I mean, we always think about parents teaching babies things, but babies teach parents things too. Oh, so much. I, sorry, not to jump in, but I'm just like, I'm, <laughs> what, I what, Tell me what agree. you think when you say that. Um, so uh, first of all, my son has a means of communicating non-verbally that I am beginning to understand where he can hit the different elements of his, the way he looks and the way he makes, you know, there are verbal sounds, but cries that are clearly demonstrating an understanding of my reaction to him. So mm -hmm. he's learning from me if he does certain things that I will react differently. Yes. Um, absolutely. And I think one of the main things is that whenever I didn't, whenever someone handed me a baby, I was terrified of it for the most part. Cause I was like, I might break this thing immediately. Right. Right. And he's sort of teaching me to be like, it's okay. You know, like we'll be all right. I need you to be confident here. I need you to be able to like be in control and not be scared of me. And the more that I feel that connection and relationship with him in a way that it's a two way street, I feel like both of us are learning how to better calm each other and how sort of how to better uh, enact in this sort of duopoly here and not just a one way street. You're dancing. You're yeah. dancing. <laughs> um, well, that's so great that you recognize that. And of course, as parents, we, we are ultimately the leaders. You know, one of these things that people get confused about is wanting to be their child's best friend. Mm -hmm. And of course, you want to have that wonderful relationship. But ultimately, we have the we have that decision responsibility, you know, that is ours to, to kind of set limits later on and, and, um, and help to guide our child through the different curves and twists in, in life. But I think that we do that in touch with our kids and respectful of our kids. You know, everyone talks about unconditional love as being the cornerstone of a successful intimate relationship. Um, but I would say that, that actually there's something that is deeper and more foundational, which is uh, mutual respect. Hmm. Because if you have love with, if you have respect without love, you know, it's not exactly what you want, but you could deal with that. But if you have love without respect, it's going to crush you. And so ultimately with parents, you have to take responsibility. You have to be the leader. Sometimes you've got to say no, and you've got to set limits. And, but you do that respectfully. You do that caringly. And the way you communicate that which is actually, I have a book called The Happiest Toddler on the Block, which is about mm -hmm. starting with kids eight months of age. But it's all about how you do that nonverbal dance to help kids be more emotionally resilient and feel respected while you're also setting the limits you need to do as a parent. So that's another conversation. But I, <laughs> we'll get there, doctor. I'm still, still dealing with week five, but trust me, we'll get there. But um, I love that. I love that that ecological, you know, kind of example of thinking about this. And it isn't a one-way street. It really is being aware of our kids. But here's the thing that what you said that's so important, I think, for parents to recognize is that yes, you've been in airplanes before many, many times doesn't mean you can sit in the pilot seat and fly one. You know, you've seen babies, but if you've never taken care of a baby, it is weird and different. And uh, it's not rocket science. You know, you can learn it pretty fast. There are basic techniques. And that's really what the 5S is and the happiest baby work is all about. But, but, you, but it is something that uh, people often feel like the alarm is going to go off when they're taking the kids out of the hospital. Like, do they know that we don't know what we're doing with this baby? Mm -hmm. And um, so there is a lot of pressure on your parents. Um, yes, I, you got to get over that hump about being like uh, the first time we took him for a walk, we were just 
checking his breath every four steps being like, you're still here, right? Um, <laughs> fortunately, everyone's okay. So of course, this podcast is called Who's Saving the Planet? And when we had an opportunity to speak before, you really brought home for me that Who's Saving the Planet can also start with Who's Saving us who's saving our well-being and the the changes that have happened in the family structure in the last 50 years that have made it more difficult and you mentioned before some of the uh some of the systemic and catastrophic or cascading effects of having a new baby and not being able to sleep well and not being able to be at your best have from us in terms of an anthropological and societal way so Talk to me a little bit about the product itself and how, and what you've what you've seen the effects of it be in terms of how families, how mothers, how parents are recapturing some of that mental and emotional well being. Thanks for that. Well, you know, um, first of all, when you think of this product, Snoo, which is this responsive baby bed, so it rocks and shushes babies all night. It responds when they're upset with a little bit more rocking and shushing. Fifty percent of the time, it can calm crying in under a minute. And 50% of the time it doesn't, meaning the baby's hungry mm. or needs a diaper change and it's kind of your turn. And then the other thing is that it secures the baby on the back. So for those first six months, you don't have to get up frightened in the middle of the night did your baby roll to an unsafe position. So we've studied really um, over 150 million hours of infant sleep with this um, and demonstrated that we keep babies safe for the first six months or safer. Um, but, um, but the thing that's confusing to people is thinking that this is a baby bed, <laughs> which I just said it was, but it turns <laughs> out it's not. I mean, it turns out what this really is, is your older sister. Um, and, and what I mean by that is SNU is really a caregiver. SNU is a service. It is an extra pair of hands. And so today, if you have a nanny or a night nurse, you know, you're pretty well off. And if you have two nannies, you're like rich. Right. Um, but a hundred years ago, and for the entire history of humanity, everyone had five nannies. You had your grandma, your aunt, your older sister, your next door neighbor's older daughter. You had a troop, an entourage helping you. You Mothers and fathers were babied as much as the baby was babied. Hmm. Today, we don't have that extended family. We haven't really done a lot of baby care growing up because we don't have the big families anymore. And people feel like they're supposed to do everything and be up all night long and be up all day long and give their baby everything. And of course you, you wanna do that, but you, you're not supposed to do that without help. And so um, Snoo really is a helper. It's your older sister moving and saying, Lex, go to bed. I'm gonna hold and rock the baby all night. If the baby gets upset, I'm gonna jiggle the baby more and shush louder. And if I can't calm the baby down in a minute or two, then I'm gonna pass right. them off to you. And so what's so exciting for us about this is our goal is not just to help babies sleep and cry less, of course, that's part of it, but it's to help parents feel successful and proud of themselves, to stop the vicious cycle of depression and child abuse and obesity and car accidents and marital stress, but more importantly, even to create a virtuous cycle of feeling confident and proud and connected and knowing you're a great parent and getting the rest you need so you can be the parent you wanna be during the day. And that's what we're um, super excited about and fortifying the family mm -hmm. and giving the family that success leads to families recognizing that now they're gonna pass it forward, not just to their child, but their, to their community. And I think that's the real linkage 
about recognizing that a healthy family leads to a healthy community, leads to a healthy planet. Yeah, I it, it's you can't have one without the other. If we ourselves are not at our best, we certainly it's more difficult to extend the ambition and the fortitude that we need to help save the, our larger ecological and environmental issues for sure. Um, now, this thing, let's first of all, the way you made it is so interesting. It came out of this box, this this cardboard sort of like Parthenon of like these. It was it was just. <laughs> put in here together in a way that was so uh is so just well structured and well thought out but it came out sort of as one physical thing so the unit itself is designed beautifully but from what the research i've done you also put a lot of care into the materials that you used and drawing on your experience if i'm quoting you correctly, you were on the board of the environmental working group for a while. And so the idea of making this in a way, this product in a way that is being respectful to the materials that you're using was paramount. And when you were designing and constructing it. Absolutely. And still on the board of EWG. And I hope all parents out there or folks listening will check out EWG.org because it has so many resources to help with everyday life. Um, I would say that, um, there's no sense in doing something unless you're doing it well and completely. I was always taught to seek simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm -hmm. And so our goal with this bed was not just to improve sleep and not just to be the first, you know, in-home helper, kind of automatic helper for parents, but to be the most beautiful bed, the most functional bed and the most sustainable bed as well. And so the products we used, the planning we did all revolved around how are we gonna be good stewards of the family and of the planet um, using, um, using organic cotton, um, you know, uh, products inside, um, not using wood for our veneer, but using a sustainable polyethylene, um, um, making the bed, and this was really important from the very beginning, making the bed not a wonderful bed that would go for 100,000, 200,000 cycles to last for your baby. And then you kind of chuck it after six or 12 months, but to make it sustainable. So we, we actually tested this bed for 20, 30 million cycles before we brought it to the marketplace because our goal was always to rent the beds. Hmm. That's really the perfect sustainability model because um, parents don't want to stick this in the garage and we don't want them thrown away on the, on the waste heap. We want to use these beds over and over and over and over again and be able to, of course, refurbish them and, and sanitize them so they're like pristine when people rent the beds from us. But by renting the beds, we can drive down the price or the cost and that means we can get this much more broadly applied. I mean, ultimately our goal is for every new family to be able to use this bed. Rich or poor, it doesn't matter because all parents need this type of help. Yeah, I think it's two very important points you bring up. One is that we often say we, we spend a lot of time thinking and working in fashion and the most sustainable piece of clothing that you have is the one that's already in your closet. And that's also true of any sort of furniture or physical thing where if we can move away from a consumption economy to a rental or a transitional use economy where things are made from component parts and you're able to refurbish them and you were able to reuse them, we're going to reduce the amount of waste that we have. So putting the time and the care in that 
is and I think it's very forward thinking because that's going to be not only is it the right thing to do, but there's going to be more demand for that for people that don't want to buy something in the have to throw it away because there's some sort of emotional element of that now where I feel like the younger generations, which I generously include myself in, which is fast becoming not true. Like we don't like throwing stuff away like that. It just feels bad. So I'd like the idea of it, of it being something you pass forward. So we've done that with the packaging to be able to reuse the packaging. We've the cardboard box is downstairs. That beautiful, yeah. that, that arc, that cathedral of packaging is now downstairs so I can repackage it. Sorry. There you go. I'm and we're excited just, about a box. We've just redesigned it actually so that it's even more sustainable, more reusable, and more collapsible so that it's something that slides under your bed and then you just bring it out and rebuild it when you when you set the, send the bed back. We're now, I'm really proud that we're in. Um, 90 hospitals. So mm. this is not just a bed for home use. We're using the bed for babies withdrawing from opiates. Like I said, we're using the, we have a couple of studies underway for the prevention of postpartum depression and the treatment of postpartum depression, which affects almost 20% of new mothers and many new fathers. We're using it to improve breastfeeding outcomes. We're using it for babies who are born premature, all sorts of ways to help um, and even to help support nurses um, each bed reduces nurses' labor by about 1.7 hours. And so we're helping to improve the efficiencies and the economies in the hospital as well, because going forward into the future, we need to reduce costs because we're going to have to spend a lot more money on a lot of other things. And so our goal is not just to be the perfect product for families and hospitals, but to do that at a fraction of the cost that you might otherwise expect. So I think that's the second of these two tremendous points, which is that the sticker price of the bed is over a thousand dollars if you were to buy it outright, but it was available to us and to all these and to families everywhere for a hundred and thirty dollars a month, I believe, mm -hmm. give it that, which is a, which is much more affordable. And when you think about the improvement in terms of the quality of our life and the sleep that we get back, is a bargain and a half but through this model you're able you're able to make this available to a lot of people especially because it's something that has a planned obsolescence right like you're not going to need a baby bed after the baby stop being a baby right really the first six months is the use case for for the bed and and yes you're right i mean what i mean this is expensive to make so when people buy it um um it's you know it's over a thousand dollars which uh, is, you know, like, wow, there's no other baby bed that's like that. But this really is, the way I like people to think about it is um, it's really about $7 a day, which mm -hmm. you're pretty much going to spend for a bagel and a schmear or uh, a coffee and a donut, you know, um, um, just to stay awake with your kid. Um, and then actually when you're done with, if you use it with your second kid, it's like, it's like $3 a day. So, I mean, would you pay that for the insurance that your child is going to be safer all night and you're going to get a couple of extra hours of sleep at night and you have a helper whenever you need to take a shower or fix a meal, you know, to extra pair of hands? I think from that point of view, as a service, it really is uh, affordable. And as you said, now we rent them and we ship it for free to, to families. Um, it's about a little more than $4 a day for the rental. Actually, a lot of, a lot of families get it totally for free from mm -hmm. their employers. And if anyone's out there listening, we'd love to speak to your employers about <laughs> having a program where we can, where it, employers love to give it away because it pays the employer money if they can reduce, you know, improve retention and improve productivity and reduce errors and accidents, they've saved money. So it's one of these great win-win-wins, win for the 
family, win for the company, win for us, win for the community. And ultimately our goal, we have over 20 studies underway. Our goal is to get insurance companies and governmental agencies subsidizing this so we can really bring it for free or really for very, very low cost to all families across the country and ultimately around the world. So I often, when I'm doing the research for our guests, I look for places where I can ask constructive criticism questions, sort of like mm -hmm. poke holes. And I did a fair amount of research. Well, also as a new father, I did a fair amount of research on this product. Anyway, you're putting your baby in something, you want to know what it is. And I, there may be things about this which are bad. I could not find anyone in terms of the business model, the structure, the way that you thought about building it, the purpose, the use case. And now as a parent, I have nothing but effusive things to say about it, which is not very useful in terms of like a, a, <laughs> an insightful podcast co-host, what have you. But so I wanted to instead, you know, be instead of doing that, I wanted to ask you about the transition that you made from a pediatric doctor to an entrepreneur, because now you are you are running this company. You have employees internationally and domestically. You have investors that you are beholden to, all of which came from this fundamental idea that we talked about. We're like, I got, I see a problem. You know, like I got a problem here with babies, with parents, and like this issue. Let me create a solution, but but it involves now a scale and a scope, which is much more than that intimate relationship with both a baby and a parent, but also the baby parent and a doctor. So, what was it like to go from that? I see this problem too. I'm going to take a leap. I'm going to do, I'm going to create a solution where one doesn't exist. Um, yeah, well, it helps to be naive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when, when uh, we really, I, I was, you know, retired from practice and lecturing around the world and writing books and things like that. And, and I had no desire to really start a tech startup, but um, I was giving a lecture and, and talking about how 3,600 babies die every year in the United States in, in their sleep. And that's really, that's unchanged over the last 20 years. People think we're making progress, but we really haven't been um, because um, um, for several reasons, babies roll over and get stuck in an unsafe position. And parents sometimes bring the baby in bed with them intentionally or accidentally, and the baby falls asleep and rolls into a, a, an unsafe position. So. 3,600 babies a year. And I was giving this lecture and some, and I said, listen, if some foreign country were killing 3,600 of our babies every year, we'd go to war. We wouldn't stop at anything to save those babies. Why aren't we doing more about, about you know, stopping infant sleep death? And then I thought, well, I think I can do more. And I, and I pitched it to my wife and I drew a little picture on a napkin and I said, I think we can do this. It'll take a year, year and a half. How hard could it be? And that was 11 years ago. So um, it's been a very arduous journey. I mean, we haven't taken a vacation in, in about a decade. I mean, except for mm. three days here and there um, because um, it, it, you, there's so many more ways to fail than succeed when you start a, a business like this. Fortunately, my wife is brilliant and, and she is so incredibly competent in so many different ways. And we work together as a team. And so we've been able to really uh, where one of us would never have been able to do it. The combination have been able to do it successfully and building this company. And ultimately it isn't just about SNU, it's really about supporting parents um, and helping parents do this really tough job. And so it's, it ultimately we'll have products and services for the first five, six years of life and really guide people down the entire path. Um, but it's not, it's not easy, you know, it's not for sissies. 
but we never thought we, we never, you know, you just have to totally believe in yourselves and just, you know, rush forward like a fool and, uh, <laughs> and, and try to find smart people to work with. Um, in addition to just having a child, we're also launching our, our company who's saving the planet from a podcast to a much more ambitious thing. And everything that you just said also resonates with me, including the like, I'm wallowing in the naivete that I have right now because it's like so much morning fog. It's burning off as things get harder and harder and harder. Uh, so what advice would you, we also have the opportunity to speak to a lot of people that had a different life before they became an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So people that were um, scientists or academics and then made that jump over to saying, I want to take this out of the theoretical realm and create something actionable that will disrupt some kind of marketplace. Cause they have this opportunity to have this insightful uh, knowledge of this problem. And mm -hmm. now they need, so what advice would you give to other people that aren't necessarily trying to go be a startup entrepreneur, but recognize this problem or recognize a problem in their field? Well, like you said, you need to have an important insight. I mean, um, and that can be product that can be marketing that can, I mean, you, you have to have, you know, um, product consumer fit um, as they say. Um, in my situation, um, I, you know, I know babies, I'd done this for decades. I knew what I was talking about. I knew that if we could build the product correctly, we would have an audience that was interested in it. Um, and I knew the science of it. Um, and so from that point of view, I never had any doubts. It was just a matter of, you know, running the gamut and getting through all the problems that you're going to encounter to get to the other side but you need to be a domain expert in one way or another. And um, I'm, I'm actually very, you know, so having a startup is a risky business. Uh, many more fail than succeed, as you know, you know, from your own business school experience and now what you're doing in the world. I'm a very risk averse, you know, I'm older in life and I've been through a lot of other businesses. And so we, you know, we just knew in our case that we had something that was you know, was really a, a, an innovation whose time had come anyway. So, and it's a long journey, right? Especially when you're dealing with a physical product that needs to be constructed and a physical product that needs to get an exhaust amount of testing before yeah. anyone's going to be willing to put their child in it. That's a long road to go down. It, it is a long road. I mean, we're mission driven. I yeah. mean, we're, we're not in this for any other reason than I mean, of course, we have to make a profit. We have a lot of investors and things like that. So we have our, our responsibilities there. But really, we're motivated to make a difference in the world. That's, that's always been my motivation, you know, do well by doing good. And, um, and um, you know, ending infant sleep death. We, we've now measured 42,000 babies from zero to six months, by far the largest sleep study ever done in the world, demonstrating that we add an hour to two hours to the baby's sleep, again, no great surprise. You'd do the same thing if you drove them all night in the car, but mm -hmm. now you can do that without getting in the car. And we're going to dramatically reduce postpartum depression and child abuse and all these other things and, um, and support, make families happier at the same time. So that's really what, what gets us up in the morning. And yeah. the, all the business stuff is really kind of, those are the ornaments on the tree, but, but ultimately the tree is really our, or our North star, if you will, is really how are we going to make the world a better place? And uh, and that's enormously gratifying. Absolutely. Well, uh, again, I am so biased in terms of this, but you certainly have made our little home life much more much more manageable. Um, so let me finish by asking one question that I asked a lot of people. Um, what advice would you give yourself 
11 years ago when you were starting on this journey? Oh, um, boy, I guess it's really um, be ready to work hard. I mean, I was ready to work hard. I, I guess it's about investors and pick the right investors. Mm. Um, you want people who are really going to be supportive through good times and bad um, and um, who identify with your, your mission. What was interesting for me when we started raising funds is that um, the Happiest Baby book had been out for quite a while. And there were a lot of parents who are venture capitalists who used my work. And so they already knew, you know, a lot of people went, I didn't get it. So you're selling a baby bed and this is your business. And the folks who had experienced the five S's went, oh my God, this is so, you know, they, <laughs> they had an enthusiasm that really was um, important for us to be able to get through the, the bumps. And yeah. So I, I guess that was um, that that would be the, the biggest advice is stay true to that um, and and be selective. So um, that's also a great point. Being able to have uh, investors that understand your product is crucial. Did you ever or do you now or do you, was there a point when you feel like, oh, you know what? I think we've made it. I don't think this is going to collapse tomorrow. I think actually maybe I'm ready to take that vacation. <laughs> I hope we're getting there, actually. I hope we're getting there now. I mean, what's been interesting with this pandemic is that um, we were all ready for a, a massive drop in our business, you know, because this is a, you know, it's a discretionary product. Um, but it turns out it's not a discretionary product because during the pandemic, people need and needed help even more because they couldn't have family members and friends and, mm -hmm. and babysitters helping them out. And so, um, so, you know, you're constantly de-risking. Um, it's a big deal when you're making hardware because it's very expensive, takes a lot of money to build your, build your product. So we've been de-risking like crazy, but now we're really kind of, we see this wonderful momentum. Most of the people who use the bed really didn't, they don't hear about it from us. They hear about it from their friends or their family members who say, you know, if there's, forget you know get a cheap stroller whatever you're going to do just just get one of these things <laughs> for the first six months you're going to never regret it then that is the great the most wonderful thing for us is to to know that it's our our friends and families that are you know supporting us so i i i heard about it from a friend of mine and, and he had a he had, he had his child in the summer and i was like so like how has it been like what you know what's what's your experience i'm, I'm four months away and he sort of like his voice got a little bit lower and he sort of in his conspiratorial tone was like, listen, you got to get this new. And I was like, I'm sold. I'm sold. Like, I, I believe it now. You know, you got it. You have to have, especially with your new parents, you know, there's so much you don't know. And, and you, there's so many people. The only time you get marketed to more is maybe when you're getting married. So like mm -hmm. new parents and people that are getting married are the most, the willingness to pay is out the window. Um, Our goal has always been to have people as enthusiastic about Snoo as Harley riders are enthusiastic about Harley. <laughs> you know I mean, it's that kind of a that kind of a thing. I don't ride a motorcycle, but if I could ride the Snoo around town just to demonstrate it to people, I'd be on board. I'd 100% do that. Well, Dr. Carp, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I really appreciate it. And like on a personal note, thank you so much for the work that you have done and the work that you continue to do to continue to make this available to more people and to improve the lives of young families. It just, it, it means the world. It's great.
Well, thank you so much. And thank you for everything you're doing because this is, we're all grains of sand on the beach and we got to come together to really be able to make the changes that we, that we can make happen over this next you know decade. And we really have to be committed to that. Absolutely. The time is nigh and I'm looking forward to a more bright future. Thanks so much. Take care. Cheers. And that was our Who's Saving the Planet episode with Dr. Harvey Karp. You can find more information about him and the books that he has written and, of course, this wonderful snoo at happiestbaby.com. And please head over to Who's Saving the Planet to check out our 2020 Planet Savers ebook. A lot of love went into that, and we'd love to share it with you. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful new year, and we cannot wait to see you in 2021.